All right, so uh, we're talking to a runner today, like more than just a casual runner, uh, a long-distance runner. Like he runs like Forrest Gump. He just keeps running. He loves to run. I think about you and me. I think we may not be the right people to interview him because I think uh, two miles is my max. I'm thinking 200 yards is your max for running. (laughs) (laughs) I know you love me. I mean, I have not run the marathon, so it's on my bucket list, but I think it's, it's been removed. It's Do you removed. run now? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I run I on... I consider that. <laughs> I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters Podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Today, our guest is Gary Allen, an American long-distance runner, extraordinaire, race director, and entrepreneur. He is the founder and director of the Mount Desert Island Marathon in Maine, which was named Race of the Year by New England Runner Magazine in 2015. Co-founder and director of the Great Cranberry Island 50K Ultra Marathon. He was raised on Cranberry Island, a small island off of Maine with a year-round population of under 50. He started running when he was 13 and was inspired to pursue it with a passion after watching Frank Shorter win the marathon gold at the 1972 Munich Olympics. Gary ran his first sub three-hour marathon in 1978 and his personal best time of two hours and 39 minutes and 30 seconds in 1984. When Allen ran the Boston Marathon in 2016, it was the 100th marathon of his life and the 24th time he'd run the Boston Marathon. He's also run the New York City Marathon 17 times. By the end of 2015, he'd run more than 100,000 miles in his life. That's 13,000 hours and one and a half years of running. He's finished 68 sub three-hour marathons in five decades. A stat highlighted in 2010, declaring him one of only 20 runners to have run a sub three-hour marathon in each of the past five decades. Without further ado, please meet Gary Allen. Hey, Gary. Hey, guys. Um, you're also going to hear a voice come in, chime in from time to time, a very talented co-host, musician, and professional voiceover, Tony Hoyland. Tony, say hello to Gary. Hey, Gary. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So I want to talk about, you started at 13, okay, and then it, what was it first that you got you running? I mean, I know Frank Shorter made you passionate after seeing him, but what, what happened? When did it all start? You just started running and you just loved it? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly that. Um, I grew up on a small offshore island, and I think kids from our era often had sports heroes. And mine uh, back in the uh, early 70s was the Boston Bruins. And I really, really wanted to be a professional hockey player when I grew up. So as a you know, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old, as soon as the ponds froze, I started skating. Um, but growing up on an island, there weren't enough kids to form a hockey team. So a lot of the skating was just Uh, me. And so I decided in order to be a Boston Bruin, I needed to skate a lot. And so I, you know, would skate, you know, a hundred laps counterclockwise and a hundred laps, um, clockwise with a stick and a puck. And when I would go buy my boots set up as a goal, I would 
you know, shoot the puck between the boots. And after a while that got a little bit old and, and then the, the ponds <laughs> melted and, and I, you know, saw Frank Shorter running in the Munich marathon. And I thought, Oh, it's just running. How hard can it be? And so I started taking my passion for wanting to, I guess, emulate my sports heroes into, into another field. And, and I never, um, never got back to the hockey. So uh, stayed with the running um, as an individual sport, obviously running, you don't need a team. So it works. Right. I read something like you, an article about the art of perpetual motion. You just like that feeling of motion. And if hockey wasn't working, then running, as you said, was an individual sport. You didn't need a team. Is it, is it, is it this need you have, as you said, you want to be a hockey player, need to move? Is it a need for speed or just like the movement? Is, is it about a spiritual escape or is it just kind of, it's beyond athleticism for you. It's some kind of a... Yeah, I think it's DNA driven. I think that, you know, I, as a kid, you don't, you know, I don't think there's a, a big spiritual connection, but I think that, you know, being a Maine kid growing up on an island, I mean, where, you know, shoes are optional and shirts are optional all summer long. And, you know, you're just sort of kind of almost like a wild animal at times. I think that athletics fits pretty well. I mean, kids from my era we're all ridiculously fit anyway just you know sort of living outdoors and and being kids so yeah i think that it just the lifestyle suited athletics and you know the ocean is too cold to swim in and you know the ponds would freeze up but you know there's limited ice ice and things like that and then you don't have a team so the long distance running thing worked and I you know I you know I would probably would have never become a Tour de France rider you know on an island two miles long but you can you actually can train to run marathons in a small place so yeah I, I think that's about it but it became you know at first it was just something for you to do to keep moving but did you find it hard to maintain or you just once you started you just kept doing it and loved it more and I guess what I'm trying to get is like from when you started at a, as a, at a young age, how is it different now from when you started? You you're, you continue to run. Is it becoming more of a mental, spiritual kind of a thing beyond the health factor? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. I think that when you first start, you know, as as a young person, all those decades ago, you know, you're you're like, I wonder if I can run to the dock and back in, mm. you know, eleven minutes. So that would be you know, two miles or something. And, and then, you, you know, you, you accomplish that and then you want to do it faster and then you want to do it further. And, and so I think that as the years have gone by the test, you know, I don't have the speed that I did necessarily when I was 20, but a lot of the endurance doesn't go away. Thus the, you know, five decades of sub threes and all, all those things. So as you get older, you might, lose some of your speed you might not be as quick in a 5k race but in a 50k race you know the 20 year olds hate you so it, it, <laughs> it bounces yeah. out and then i think the i think the day-to-day -day, i think the day-to-day -day spiritual stuff yeah you sort of become kind of a, a zen master of movement and and you just you know you crave it you just want to get out there and sweat and move and and you know it's kind of like a i suppose a racehorse likes to run you you train your body and your mind that without it, you don't, you don't really feel like a day is complete. 
Yeah, uh, and it's about the marathons, you know, Tony wanted to talk about he ran a marathon too. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Tony told me he said he was in the same one. Marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you do the New York City Marathon in 1984? Do you remember? It's a really I hot did. day. It's really hot. And I remember a French guy died on in that race. A French guy died, and that's the yeah. only marathon I I didn't finish. I um, my friend and I um, who. Interestingly, my friend, uh, Michael Westfall, and I were 100%, two of us, of the graduating class at Great Cranberry Island Elementary School. So two, two graduates. And we both, ran, we both ran that edition, the 1984 um, New York City Marathon, and neither of us finished. We got some food poisoning the night before. Oh, we wow. started. We started and we were so sick and feverish and we, we oh, stopped man. on First Avenue and, and that was heartbreaking, but it, there was, we couldn't keep going. It was right. bad. So You know, I wanted to say something. I just read that article. I guess it was more of an interview with you in Lifetime Running. Um, my favorite thing was when I guess she's talking about professions and you say with the things that you've done and all, and I love how you, um, you know, Really, ultimately, you say you're you're been a professional dreamer. That I thought was fantastic, man. I mean, that is beautiful. <laughs> well, thanks. I I think that you know, I'm not that unique in Maine. I think that you know, a lot of people in the world have a profession. You're a doctor, or you're a lawyer, mm -hmm. or, or you're a carpenter. And and growing up on a Maine island, you're everything. And and I right. think you're especially good at dreaming. And, um, you know, I, I can do pretty much a lot of different, you know, trades type professions and I can, you know, hold my own in a lot of other areas, everything from being a, you know, auctioneer to, uh, I even was a bicycle messenger once in New York city. So, you know, it, it's kind of whatever you want to do, you just go do and you dream about it and you do it. So that's a, it's great. It's a life, it's a life path that I followed and, it's it's actually you know if you're meeting people a lot of times one of the first questions is what do you do and i never quite know how to answer it i usually <laughs> usually go i i don't i don't really know anything i don't do so yeah well, now now you know how to answer it though that's exactly. it that's it i'm a, I'm a dreamer i mean that's that is so cool yeah yeah what, Beautiful. Yeah. well your runs have taken you and all over and, and you've met a lot of interesting people i think what i love to it goes well beyond running because tell us a little bit you you had some foundations you run for causes and raise money for cancer so it's really gone beyond a passion for you individually but it's you've used that to to do good with uh with, with your with your passion correct what tell us about some of the causes you've done so um in 2012 i was in new york city for the uh, new york city marathon and as you remember that was uh, hurricane sandy and the marathon was canceled um literally the night before so you know, even the international field was in place. Everyone was there and they correctly called it off because New York was, uh, you know, really, really hurting from that. And they called it off the night before. But a friend of mine um, from here in, in Maine and I said, well, let's run anyway. And he said, what's your plan? And I said, let's start at midnight and run the course. And, and wow. we, you know, creatively found our way to the start using, you know, public transportation, cabs, running. Um, and we started at, you know, 1201 or midnight or whatever. And we ran through the city 
um, in parts of it that was blacked out and and you know I knew the knew the route from having run it so many times but the famous blue line was painted it was they were ready to go the finish line was set up they were they were ready and we you know it was really a fascinating sort of study and if the world ends what it's going to look like because there were lines of people at gas stations with gas cans you know trying mm-hmm. to get gasoline and and it was really a kind of a surreal thing and we finished in central park at about 3:45 a.m. and the night watch people that were at the finish line which again was all set up it was ready to go said you're the first two here and we were like <laughs> cool that's awesome and and, <laughs> and so i kind of laughed and said wow we're the first two non-Kenyans to win the New York City Marathon in a long time, <laughs> non-Kenyan old guys. And so, and so we, uh, you know, we had a, a fun time running the course and seeing the city, you know, through the wee hours of the morning. And then on the way home, I was, I was telling Ty, I, you know, I wonder if I could ever run from home, you know, and that's uh, around uh, Bar Harbor, Mount Desert Island to New York City. And he goes, well, yeah, you can definitely could if you wanted to. I said, I think I want to. <laughs> I got home and I talked to my wife and I said, yeah, I'm thinking of doing a long run somewhere. And she said, go for it. Don't ask me. And don't ask me to go. And, you know, she 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 was just like very supportive, but didn't want to run. And so I I got thinking about it and I was like, I don't know, running to New York just seems a little too easy. You know, it's, it's about 500 <laughs> miles. I should run somewhere else. And and oh I was God. thinking maybe I should run to Miami. And I was like, nah, that's, that's, you know, that's crazy. That's too far. And so I kind of split the difference and I ran to Washington, D.C. But along the way, I, I was like, well, if I'm going to run to Washington, D.C., I should r- run, raise money for some good causes. So I raised money for the uh, Wounded Warrior Project and I raised money for the American Cancer Society. And in between when New York happened and when I started in uh, early January, um, that tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary took place. And I realized I was going to run right through that part of Connecticut. So I, I was like, wow, I need to also raise money for that. And so I had three charities and ended up raising over $20,000. And I made it. And I think I inspired a few people. And um, I think the only thing of note that was interesting is that it was 705 miles from uh, the top of Cadillac Mountain to the U.S. Capitol in D.C. And I, I really wanted to make it a challenge. So my goal was to do it in 14 days, which required me to run a, about 50, 50 miles per day. And I think uh, my 57th birthday, I, I, I did 57 miles to, to celebrate it. Um, I think I was in Connecticut at that that time. So it it took a lot out of me. It was really hard to do, but it it was really satisfying as well. Wow. I mean, you, you know, maybe you inspired that scene in Forrest Gump where he just keeps running. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but, oh I, had, have... I, had, I had vehicles going by me yelling out the window, run, Forrest, run. You know, they, they, <laughs> the media, media picked up on it a little. So I, I definitely sure. heard that. Yeah. So, and you also ran to uh, Obama's inauguration, right? Well, that's when I, so when I decided to run to DC, I was like, well, if I'm going to do a fundraiser, well, just to back, back up a little bit. So having spent my, a good part of my life running on a isolated main island and the main road is only two miles long. 
it's kind of like being a you know caged lion you sort mm. of you sort of run up and down the island waiting for your day that you can run free and run somewhere else and so running marathons boston new york las vegas los angeles you know all over the country down in florida in georgia you know in philadelphia you know everywhere in between was always great it it felt actually kind of easy to run somewhere new because i knew the road so well so there's something called a journey run and that's where you run from somewhere to somewhere and so i was always fascinated with journey runners and and believe it or not there are crazy people that run across the united states all of all the time and i wasn't sort of ready to tackle that so i sort of wanted to do a journey run you know that seemed doable and you know i wanted to have success and then i also wanted to raise money so naturally once i decided i only had a few weeks to from the end of the new york marathon and when i left to raise the most money i said is there anything happening in dc that that i can sort of piggyback on and and the media might pick this up and we can raise more money and i was like oh there's a presidential inauguration happening i'll get there that day i'll get there that day so i i left on uh january 7th and got there on the 21st and um and and in fact that did work and we were able to raise more because i think that some people you know it just got in the news cycle that there was this you know lunatic running from maine to the inauguration how did you keep up this passion you just made it a point to run every day i mean you never has there ever been a stretch where you said i'm sick of this and did you have struggles with it and just said uh, you oh, yeah. other than obviously injuries but like mentally you said i'm sick of this yeah well i don't think i've ever been sick of it i so what happened was obviously i you know as a competitor you know, running running can be really selfish at times. You know, you 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 skip, you know, events. You skip, you know, birthdays. You skip parties. You skip I don't know all these different things to train, and and you do that your whole life, and you know it's a little bit selfish. So the journey run to give back was important to me, but I think there are also times where you're just like you know I I you know just can't keep pushing like this forever, and so you you know, you, you go off into other things. And for me, it was a natural to, to go from competitor to race director and create some, some events that might help change communities or, or change our state or change our world or change, change, you know, people's thinking or, or inspire the next generation of, of runners to do things. Uh, So race directing, coaching, um things like that and i've been a a cross-country coach for 13 years and and it's so fun to see kids you know in some cases my age when i started get going and just sort of plant that seed with them and and hope that they you know do big things and you know i i tell them often you know one of you can be in the olympics someday i can't but you can and so so i think that you know creating events um and and doing other things i mean there was a point when i was doing a lot of running i you know was my son was um racing um motocross uh, dirt bikes and and i was like well i should you know do that too so i got got myself a dirt bike and started you know racing motorcycles while i was being a long distance runner and sometimes my bike skills were 
not that great, but my endurance skills were, were ridiculous. So, mm. you know, the other guys would get tanked and I would be just like, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think, that, you know, it's like life. I think that sort of the, the ebbs and the flows of, of life happen too. And that's true with athletes. You know, you just take a little break mentally and do something else and, and then come back to it. Also, it sounds like you've evolved from it. It's, it's not just about running. You said you, you're being a director and it's, it's how you connect to running as successfully as a runner. Now you're connecting as, as a guru, a mentor, teacher of sorts. And that, that's as fulfilling without obviously the physical uh, um, benefits of running, but you get as much out of that now, or is it still your number one joy is still getting those sneakers on and going? Oh, you know, at this point, you know, at this point, um, the the running is is less important and the the running related um activities are more important and you know i think there are four people that have now accomplished um worldwide four people that have accomplished a sixth decade um sub three hours and that's you know luckily i've got you know 10 years but the birthdays are you know not making it any any either easier but um <laughs> But I've got ten years, and I could join a really exclusive club. Yeah, it it's like on my it's on my radar. But yeah, I think the I think for me the the sort of giving back. I mean, running's been great to me, and giving back to the to the kids and the younger runners. And then you know, for example, I don't always you know I'm sort of a spontaneous person, and I I might see something. And then I realized I should create a, a race there. And so there's this little town in Northern Maine called uh, Millinocket. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Maine is a lot of states in one state, really. I mean, Northern Maine is one thing and, and the coastal Maine is one thing and Southern Maine is one thing. And Millinocket is sort of uh, Northern Maine and it's sort of a, in the woods. It's a Northern woods town. And, and I read a, a really sad article about Millinocket and it was that you know the paper mill you know because of having all those trees there it was a mill town and the paper mill closed and the jobs left and and you know there was a you know a lot of sad things happened as a result of that and i remember just reading that and i was like well i should start a, a race there but millinocket doesn't need a traditional race because traditional races require the community to do a lot we need a race where people show up and give back. I mean, this right. town really needs a hand. And so creating a marathon there, like no, no marathon that's ever been organized, um, took off, you know, immediately, you know, we got national headlines and national press and, and it took off immediately. And it, it has literally helped reignite the community. And, and, you know, so doing a, you know, the race directing thing is is really where I'm at right now, and and any any personal running that I do is is less important. But I think the I think the fire is always burning, and it's a matter of how hot you want it to burn. You know, it sounds like you're the, it, it's there. Yeah, it's there. You're, you're knight there. You were their knight in shining armor. You know, like coming in to save it. I mean, are, are you now being contacted by? particularly in other main towns, anyone struggling, or you just kind of read about it and say, hey, you're, you're being a spontaneous guy. That sounds like good. Let me go check this place out. Oh, yeah. The there's a there's a, a race um, plan, planned for over in Vermont, in the uh, Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. I've been contacted by 
towns and cities in the Rust Belt saying, you know, we we have heard heard about what you did in northern Maine and we really want to do something like that. And I, you know, I've talked to folks, you know, all across the country. And and it's interesting because this town wasn't known for sort of being a destination. And now it's you know, we, we attract runners from all 50 states there and, and, wow. and it's a winter so marathon, cool. not, to, not to, yeah, not to, you know, so I think the power of, for me, the power of creating ripples, you know, you just got to get out there and toss pebbles, you know, yeah. toss pebbles and create some ripples and, you know, whatever you're passionate about, if you're passionate about something, it doesn't have to be athletic, but whatever you're passionate about, create ripples in your passion and, and you never know where they're going to end up. Gary, is that race a yearly ongoing thing, the Millinocket? It, it is. And we, you know, we had to skip uh, a lot of the in-person stuff because of the pandemic. Um, sure, of course. Had right. to be shut down. And um, so last year we weren't, were unable to run, which was a heavy blow. And, um, but we're scheduled uh, to run on December 4th, uh, 2021. So. Wow, that's so, so great. Uh, you know. I got a question about, um, in reading about you about these these fifty mile ultra marathons, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, did you did you create one of those too? And in, in uh, was it Great Cranberry Great Island? Cranberry, that, yeah. my, did I read that correctly? Yeah, correct. So so anything over a marathon is considered an ultra marathon. A lot uh, of people don't know that. So twenty six point two miles. It's interesting that. People don't always know where the 26.2 came from, and that was from the 1908 London Olympics. And the royal family um, decided that the finish line needed to be in front of the royal box, um, not not over there. And the distance <laughs> happened to be 26 miles, 385 yards, and oh it stuck. God. So that's wow. kind of cool. But anything over that is considered an ultra marathon. Um, the first distance of uh, of an ultra is usually 50 kilometers. So 31.1 miles. And so all the years spent running up and down Cranberry Island, I was like, well, maybe people would like this. Maybe, maybe people would like to come out here and run up and down the island. I don't know. We won't know unless we throw some pebbles, right? There you go. And yeah. So we did. And we eventually hosted the uh, national um, ultra marathon championships out on Great Cranberry on a road that I've run you know, 75,000 of my, you know, over 100,000 lifetime miles on. And people loved it because generally races go like this. The fast people, like if you line up in Hopkinton, Mass to run the Boston Marathon, the fast people, you might see them at the start briefly and then they're gone. You don't see them anymore. Right. You know, the the ultimate winners. Right. And then, you know, the, you know, the, the mid pack people sort of see each other the whole race and the end of pack people see each other the whole race. Whereas on Cranberry, the, the route was two miles long. And so you ran the length of the Island, turned around and ran back. Oh my and God. so you, you, and then you did that for 31 miles. And, and it was fascinating because I think that the runners were just like, that was a crazy cool experience because instead of focusing on the things that are the same, focus on things that are different, focus on how you're feeling internally, focus on, uh, you know, how the wind or how the, you know, clouds are moving across, you know, cause it's, it can take a few hours to run that far. And, and I think that people loved it and it made them feel like 
because they were crossing the start finish line every every lap every two miles yeah. so so i think that it 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 worked and then not only hosting the national ultra marathon championships out there we were named um the race of the year that particular year um for the whole united states which was really wow. cool it made me it made me so proud that my little yeah. you know my little I want to be a hockey player kid created a race that became the race of the year um, wow. there. So, yeah. So it was good. It, it sounds like uh, it became more of a communal, like it's, it's because with a, as you said, with another marathon, you're always, you know, running and you lose the, the, the leaders disappear, but you're always seeing them, as you said. So you became, you kind of have more of an engaged experience with the other runners. It kind of sounds like a party. Them. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, well, it sounds fun. There, there, I mean, there were there were um, plenty of plenty of adult beverages on the course. So yeah, it was kind of like a party. That <laughs> well, was one mile bananas. with adult beverage. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, uh, other than your your giving back, we talked about it a little bit, but really, what at the at depth has his passion taught you about just life? Is I'm thinking just spontaneating, going for it, and doing things and creating ripples, right? Yeah, I think it's just taught me, you know, taught me to get out there um I, I guess i was never really shy about getting out there but just try new things and and don't underestimate what you're capable of and the change that you can bring to someone else's life can be yeah. significant and you know i've got you know several hundred kids that i've coached over the years and it's fun to see them some of them continue on and running but you know just to just to touch them in a way and and hopefully leave them with something they can use later in their lives is is really important. Well, and you you actually you know kind of answer there why why you what is it about why you still do it there you go um, yeah I mean and I think in that answer you said if there's any other thoughts about you know what our listeners you know what what they can get from this if they're it's really about as you just said sticking to something and making a difference and having an impact but it's also about your inspiration is just get out there and make some ripples, as I said a moment ago. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that and and getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, right. uh, in 2014, um, you know, a, a friend of mine was like, you know, you really got to come come to Burning Man. And, you know, a lot of your <laughs> a lot of your listeners are going to go, wait, is that sort of like a, you know, hippie thing? What What is that? And so I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that's my, my scene. And, but, but then I see that there's a Burning Man ultra marathon and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm all over that. So uh -huh. I sign up for the Burning Man ultra marathon and then there's no fee. The, the race is free. As a matter of fact, everything is free there. And so I, you know, I eventually go through the process and, and, and get my information, get my tickets and go there absolutely life-changing and so what i'm saying to everyone listening is that do things regardless of age that that you want to do and the burning man crowd is ageless i mean there are people much older than me there and there are people much younger than me and if you it's literally a a temporary city built um with all the amenities of any city but the the only thing different is that everything is free everything is free there are there are bars there are clubs there are bicycle shops there's recycling there's there's sort of a, a ebb and a flow to the city there's you know there's 
are, you know, there are races, there, there's, there are libraries there, there's skate parks, there's, so if you can't find something there that you like, then I don't know how you could like yourself in life. So yeah. I went there and it was, you know, mind boggling what I was seeing. You know, there's literally an airport that's created with people with rakes and shovels. And it's a temporary airport with a call sign and planes, you, you finish it and then planes start landing. And you're like, what is that? What is actually <laughs> happening here? Oh my! And God. you're just sort of like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then you start realizing that mayors from cities all across the country are attending Burning Man because they feel like it has value to teach them things they can use in their cities. And you're, you're like, a, you know, and so you kind of go there, you go to an event like that, expecting one thing, and you get a completely another and you're you know you're just sort of like this isn't what i thought was going to go on here at all and and so i would just encourage everyone to get out there it it doesn't matter how old you are and and try new things and you know i guess while we're talking about running you people are like well i could never run unless i'm being chased or my, <laughs> my knees won't handle it or this or that right. but you know find a tree or a stop sign you know, quarter mile from your house and how you get in shape is not by, you know, especially for guys, we tend to want to like, you know, no pain, no gain. I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, and you go out and you kill yourself and then you never run again. Right. Well, you, how you get in shape is you run to that tree or to that stop sign every day for a month. You just basically, and at the beginning of the month, you're just like, why is this good for me? It's too easy. I should go further. And then halfway through the month, you're kind of getting tired. And then by the end of the month, you've sort of like start to feel some fitness and then you're going, okay, I've now done a month of running to that tree. And now month two, I'm going to run to the, to that building that's another quarter or half mile away and back. And you sort of just make it part of your routine and you've mm -hmm. got to give your body, you know, especially, you know, once you get, over 50 or so you got to let your body have ch a chance to adapt and and once you you start training slowly and and your body can adapt and your muscles can slowly build you can change your fitness you know a lot and people you know think well i should have done that i wish i would have done that when i was 30 or you know 20 you know it's never too late i do remember once running with my roommate at night in Central Park up in the northern part of it, uh, you know, that that loop inside the park. Sure. And it's a beautiful summer night. Um, we're running and I remember we're running downhill going south and suddenly like there are fireworks and it's the New York Philharmonic in the, in the park doing 1812 Overture. You know, the Tchaikovsky thing where, you know, there's it. fireworks. You hear these cannons. It was unbelievable. One of the I most, like, well, you know, iconic, magical New York moments, you know. Absolutely. Love it. We, and we didn't know love it was going to happen. We were just out running, love, you know. Love it. I was running. Yeah, man. So I keep coming back to Burning Man. I was running at Burning Man, not in the 50K, but I was just running, just experiencing the city and, and checking out new neighborhoods. And I came upon the San Francisco Philharmonic, wow. um, wow. just wow. playing playing and and i was just like you know you stop when you see this and you're just like what you know what is what is he actually happening here it's just you know, know it makes your it gives you 
gives you goosebumps really you just totally like get you get chills you're like what especially when you what? when you don't expect it and when it's in a natural setting it's just like yeah. oh my god this yeah. is like this is perfect i mean it really yeah. is yeah it is perfect yeah so what is the future i mean we know what the now is what's the future hold for you i know continue as a director and keep running any special things coming up or any plans or just kind of going with life i think you know just more of the same i think that you know i i um like i said i've the the sixth decade sub three right, thing is something yeah. something that's that's a personal thing and as i alluded to earlier running sometimes is a little bit selfish and you know, it depends on how selfish you want to get and to get in that kind of shape at I'm 64 now. So to get in that shape um, at this age is going to take some work. And, um, you know, that's going to be a personal decision. But I think creating more opportunities for people to live large and, and experience new things and and sort of jumping at situations that may, you know, may present themselves, uh, you know, I, one of the people I met at Burning Man was Elon Musk. And so I was wow. just like, that's cool. What are you doing here? And, <laughs> and I, he's, I guess he's a big, he loves it there. And so I think seeing the things he's doing in the world and trying to connect some of my ideas with things that, that he's uh, passionate about. And I don't know, everything from technology to, you know, I've got some pretty wide ranging ideas. This has been fantastic, Gary. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tony, Gary. thank you. Really, oh, I'm inspired. Uh, I'm going running this afternoon. <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for talking to me, guys, and uh, good luck with everything. Okay, All right. Bye. Talk to you soon, Gary. Thank, thank you. you. All right, man. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast. Please rate and review and be sure to tell your friends too. For more information about this podcast, go to thegraymatters.org. And please subscribe to The Gray Matters wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank my guest, Gary Allen, my co-host, Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time. Mm-hmm.